Welcome back, you guys, to another episode of the Data Career Podcast. And today's episode is pretty interesting, in my opinion. It's the recording of a seminar I gave this week to about 50 undergraduate students at the University of Utah, which is my alma mater, specifically in the chemical engineering program. So in this seminar, I mostly talk about two things. The first one is what I wish I knew while I was in college and trying to break into data science, like what do I wish I knew? What were some tips that helped me in college? What do I wish I realized? And two, how data science can be applied in industrial systems and engineering. So a little bit more focused for the chemical engineers in the room. That's a little bit later in the podcast. So if you're not an engineer and you don't want to hear about that, you know, maybe just listen to the first part. But I think the whole thing is actually pretty good. Although this was given to a live audience, I do think that there's a lot of advice that you might find applicable to you and your own situation. But before we get into this episode, I just wanted to ask you to take a look in the show notes. The show notes, if you didn't know, is like the text that's associated with this episode's page. It might be below if you're an Apple podcast. You might have to hit podcast details if you're in Spotify. But go ahead and look at the show notes. And if you don't mind, I'd love to have you be in the habit of checking the show notes. Because in the show notes, I typically have a summary of what the episode's about, as well as some awesome links to events that are happening, free resources, Etc. Cetera, Etc. Cetera. So, for instance, in today's, you'll go ahead and see that I have my free data career roadmap, the 21 Days of Data Challenge, my YouTube, plus a lot more. You also notice that I do have an invitation in these show notes to a project that I'll be doing next Saturday on February 26th, where I'll be taking on Kenji's challenge of analyzing his own YouTube data. That'll be hosted on LinkedIn Live, so make sure you're connected with me on LinkedIn. And you can use the link below to register and get that on your calendar. It's a free event, should be really fun, and it could be an awesome start to a project that you could have on a portfolio. As always, thank you so much for listening, and we'll go ahead and hear a quick word from our sponsor and then get into the seminar. Okay, with that, then let me turn the time over to our guest today. This is Avery Smith. He's a graduate from our department, and he's had a very, very interesting career thus far, and he's going to talk about that with you. So... I'll let him provide more of his own background. So Avery, take it away. Awesome. Thank you, Professor Eddings. Hi, everyone. Uh, my name is Avery Smith. And uh, today I'm going to be talking about data science and industrial systems. Um, you know, like Dr. Eddings said, I have had a very interesting career. Interesting is very generous. I've had a weird career, to be honest. Um, and uh, I'm going to just talk a little bit about what I wish I would have known um, I graduated from the program actually in 2019. So some of you guys who are seniors might have, or yeah, who are seniors now, I guess you would have been like freshmen or sophomores maybe when I, when I, when I graduated. So I didn't graduate too long ago. Um, so I was definitely in your seat. I sat in the back row almost every class and played uh, golf on my phone, like a majority of the class. Nice, sweet, so you guys know what's up. Um, <laughs> But anyways, I remember coming to, uh, is this called seminar? What is it, webinar? It's undergraduate seminar. Undergraduate seminar. I remember coming to this. We also had to do like twice as many as you guys. You guys only have to come to like two semesters? Or? Yeah, we had like four, didn't we? Yeah, it used to be. So I sat in two, two times as many of these as you did. Um, and I, trust me, I understand if you just do your homework. That's pretty much what I did. But hopefully I can talk about something that might be a little bit interesting today a little bit unique. It's going to be two parts, basically. I'm gonna talk about data science in industrial systems, so like data science, programming, statistics, machine learning, for a, a chemi background a little bit. But I'm also going to be talking about what I wish I knew when I was in your seat, 
and some things I'm glad I did and some things I'm glad I'm not, or I'm glad I didn't do. Like, um, just, just who knows when that, that networking event is? Did you guys write that down? Like, I, one thing I learned as an undergraduate is some of my peers, and sometimes me, cared way too much about my grades and not enough about networking. Um, so we'll get into that in a little bit, but since Dr. Powell's here, <laughs> I failed the midterm of heat transfer. Uh, do you remember that? I, I got like a 42. Like, and it's not like a Sutherland test where like a 42 is a good score. <laughs> it's, like, it's like 42 is a bad score. But that was the week of the career fair, and I just did not study, in all honesty. And I ended up getting a job from going to the career fair, so it was all worth it. So that's kind of like my, my mantra of, of today's lessons. <laughs> hey, one quick comment. So there is uh, a quiz, an online quiz for attendance credit today. Oh, in there you Canvas. Go. Yeah, what's up? Okay, let me, uh, let me try and publish it again. Thank you. Okay, cool. Well, while Dr. Eddie's getting that ready, I'm just gonna cover a little bit, yeah, who I am, what I learned while I was here, why data science, we'll see how far we can get into it. So it's kind of a combo of like, just like things I learned while I was an undergrad and then after you know, graduating a couple years ago, and then also about data science. So it'll be kind of a hybrid lesson, so. Um, so just a little bit about me. This is uh, my LinkedIn. Some of you, you know, might be connected with me on LinkedIn, um, but if you're not, go ahead and connect with me. I'd love to just have you guys in my network. Um, and I graduated, like I said, from the program in 2019. Um, I went and worked for uh, ExxonMobil right after graduating, um, where I got a master's in data analytics online at the same time. And I was at Exxon for about two years uh, until about a year ago where uh, I quit, moved back to Utah, and started doing what I call my own thing, um, which is Snow Data Science. It's an analytics firm that I run, basically consulting and freelancing, and then Data Career Jumpstart. I do some online courses where I teach people some stuff I've learned in the past, and that's my current job. Um, while I was an undergrad, I worked at a company called VaporSense. Has anyone heard of them? I don't think so, probably not. All right, nice. Um, they used to be on campus. They used to be an SMBB. They're a spin out of the, oh man, bioengineering program. Um, and so when I joined, there was like eight people that worked there. And I joined as a lab technician um, my freshman year. Yeah, second semester of my freshman year. Um, and I was a lab technician. So I was a little freshman. Any freshmen in here or no? All right, a couple of you guys, nice. So I was a little freshman. And I joined this company and I worked in the lab, basically mixing chemicals, making sensors. And eventually this, this company basically makes sensors, sensors that teaches computers how to smell. So what's in the air, how much is present, um, is specifically used for like bombs, explosives, drugs. So I got I to gotta work with meth while I was there. Yeah, I got some fist pumps, nice. Like uh, that was a crazy experience. Like I had access to just like way too much meth while I was there. Um, and we had a, a data scientist there. That, one of the eight employees was a data scientist. And he ended up leaving. And so we didn't have a data scientist for a long time. And then finally, I was like, you know what? I've taken a stats class. I can program. Like, I can figure this out. And so I started, I started doing some data analysis while I was a lab technician. And it ended up getting to the point where I, they were just like, oh, we're not going to hire anyone, and you can just do it. 
So that's what I did as an undergrad, and that's how I transferred my whole career into data, was working as a freshman lab, te lab technician and doing data analysis for the small company. Uh, they recently got to like 25 employees and just got bought for an undisclosed amount by Genen or yeah, Genentech? No, Gentex. Um, so they're, they're in like South Salt Lake now. Um, then I went to work for ExxonMobil, um, like Dr. Powell, and basically Dr. Powell's sister department where uh, I worked on refinery decision support tools. So refinery, it's a big thing, right? And you gotta make a lot of decisions and you gotta make a lot of money. That's like the goal. But um, to make the most money possible, we basically made mathematical uh, models of the refinery and would run optimization and simulations to try to figure out what crudes we should buy from around the world because I actually have this picture over here, right? These are different crude oils from different parts of the world. And you might think oil is oil, but turns out, no. Oil is not oil. Like, if you get oil from Venezuela, that does not equal the oil from Saudi Arabia. Some of, like, the price is different, and the properties are different, and you can make different things. You know, maybe one's really good for gas, one's really good for asphalt, um, those types of things. And so we basically let computers to decide those decisions, how much we should buy from each place in order to make the most money. So I, I basically worked on software and, and the, the stats models of this uh, economic side of the refinery. So I was a chemie, graduated chemie, but like I said, I kind of had that data science job as an undergrad, kind of moved into this optimization stats modeling role at Exxon. So I actually never stepped into a refinery. Who, who has been to a refinery before? Anyone? All right. All right. Okay, two. Nice. Yeah, me neither, so <laughs> I, I never actually made it. Some other projects I worked on while I was at Exxon was I was a vendor evaluator. So what different vendor tools to use? Basically, we would use different softwares to do different things. And so for six months of my life, I was on this evaluation team of like looking at this new software, deciding if we should purchase it or not, which would be like millions of dollars. And I hated that. That was like the worst part of my job ever. So just so you know, that that's an option for you in your career. You can be a vendor evaluator. Um, I worked on a dashboard, optimization results dashboard. So has anyone ever heard of like Power BI before? Tableau, all right, some nods. So basically these are ways you can do drag and drop uh, visualizations in sort of some sort of a dashboard. By the way, this is just kind of a side note. A dashboard is like one, it's like multiple graphs on one page, one computer screen, okay? When I was interviewing for I Am Flash, which is now Texas Instruments, basically, I mean, they, they bought the fab, right? They were like, oh, we really like you, and we want you to work here. Would you be interested in making dashboards? And I, like, only knew a car dashboard. And I was like, I don't know what that is. So I was like, oh, maybe. I don't know if that's, like, my, what I'd be into. And it's so funny, because I would have loved that job, but I, would, I didn't really sell myself enough on it. So that's what a dashboard is. It's just, like, it's like imagine having KPIs, which are key performance indicators, all on one page where you can see it and like see how your, you know, your process is working. It's like if some of you guys are in lab and you, have, you can see like the pressure, the temperature, the flow, all on one computer screen, that's a dashboard, just so you know. Um, at Exxon, I led an analytics club, which is I hosted uh, and taught a biweekly instruction to about 200 engineers. So that was part of my job while I was at Exxon. Um, and then also did some hackathons while I was there, which was really fun. Um, all right, I'll just give you two more examples of what I did at Exxon. Um, one of them was shipping. How much is it going to ship to get oil from one side of the world to another? 
costs a lot of money. And if you can be pretty accurate on what the prediction is, you can save a lot of money. And the timing, that's another thing. Um, especially now, like I left in, let's see, a year ago, January, or yeah, January of 2021. Um, but now sh- logistics is just getting more complex and harder and harder. So I'm sure my models are really sucking, to be honest. They're probably really bad. Um, and the other thing is um, predicting levels of products that we should sh- ship to different areas. So one of my projects was, can we have a computer decide how much diesel fuel we're going to send to this gas station in Jackson Hole, Wyoming? And it was a computer deciding the amount that we should send to every gas station in all of America. That was like a computer model that I worked on that I'm sure did not actually get into production. I'm positive of that. And we'll get to that in a second. So what do I do now? Um, I run a consulting company where basically businesses can come to me for advice. They can come to me for projects. And I help them do data projects. And I think, do I get into this? Oh, yeah. Uh, I've worked with e-commerce companies, cybersecurity, journalism, tech, and Ironically, very little engineering. Like, I've had one company probably from the engineering sphere since I went on my own, and it was an oil and gas company. So, kind of ironic. I don't know why that's the case, um, but it is. And then I do teach some online courses. Um, This is the online course that I teach. It's called Data Career Jumpstart, where I just try to teach people about data science. Um, But let's get to the classes that I took that like made me interested in data and helped me like learn how to program and learn how to do modeling and learn how to do stats. So how many of you guys have taken numerical methods? All right, how many of you guys like numerical methods? All right, all right. That's a hard class, um, very hard class. But that's a, that's a really good programming class. It just teaches you how to think you know, programmatically and logically, so that's, that's a great class that like helped me transition data science. All right, how about stats for engineers? Is that still a class? It's required. With, oh, it's required? Oh, good. That's a great class. Is that what, uh, Silcox? Right. Okay, awesome, yeah. So you guys learn Python now? Oh, you guys always have learned Python. I was one of the people that had to start with MATLAB. Any of those people in here or no? All right, a couple, all right. Yeah, that's good. It's good that we transitioned to Python. That's really good. Okay, Intro Data Science. Has anyone heard of this class? Okay. It's, okay, nice. It's not taught by our department, but it was an elective when I was here. Um, it was taught by CS slash math. I don't know if that's still a class, but that was an awesome class. Definitely recommend taking that. Uh, how about smart systems? Anyone taking smart systems? Yeah, all right. Dr. Pal, that's a great class. Very good for optimization, modeling, and chemical engineering, especially in industrial systems. That's really good. Um, wish I took this class. Oh, um, I think that's, do we still do the joint thing with uh, Professor Hedengren at BYU or no? We have yes. Okay, anything that Dr. Hedengren teaches is really good. He's very well connected and he's a very good teacher. I didn't actually end up taking his class, but I've watched a lot of his courses online. So those would be great classes to take as electives. Um, And then of course, linear algebra and calculus uh, are good classes. Do you guys still have to take Calc 3 or no? Okay, okay, okay. That's a useless class. I mean, not a useless class, sorry. But that's not very useful as useful as, as regu- like the first two calculuses in terms of data science. Just in terms of data science. Not, you know, uh, what's it called? Heat transfer, that uses it a lot. Mass transfer uses Calc-3 calc a lot. So just in terms of data science. Okay, this is something I wish I knew when I was an undergraduate, and that is to build your personal brand, okay? So this is something that I had never really heard of before, but like think of yourself as like a little mini business. And this could be if you wanna start your own business someday, 
but this could also just be for finding a job. I mean, I'm sure a lot of you guys have seen uh, a big trend in the world of like, no one likes Facebook ads, no one really likes Instagram ads, you know? But you like to follow someone on TikTok or you like to follow someone on Instagram or that's like how you get your news. I think there's a lot of big transition to getting your education also through social media. And if you can build your personal brand and like be seen by thousands of people, you never know what doors that can open. Um, so I wish I focused a little bit more on that as an undergrad. Like, I don't know, you guys are gonna laugh at me, okay? But there's people, now I'm really into this marketing stuff because my whole business runs off of social media marketing pretty much. But like, there's people on TikTok, there's undergraduate students who are just like documenting what they do every day and they're getting seen by hundreds of people and thousands of people. And that's so much, that's worth so much because you never know who's seeing that and what doors that can open. So I, I run my, my entire two businesses basically entirely off of LinkedIn traffic. And I wouldn't be able to run either of them had I not built up my LinkedIn brand basically. So I've posted on LinkedIn every day probably for three years. Um, and that, that really like owes most of my business to, to just posting on LinkedIn. And it's so easy for you guys. I know it doesn't seem like it, but like you guys are doing stuff that's relevant to industry or relevant to students every day. And it's just a way of changing your mindset and framing, how do I take, you know, how do I take this thermo problem and make it something like a story, something interesting out of it? Like, and even just saying, hey, I learned this today. That's like a valuable skill. Um, so I think I wish I had built my personal brand sooner as an undergraduate. I didn't really do that. And then the other thing that I really didn't understand was I thought corporate jobs are the only way to make money. And it's definitely not true. There's definitely other ways to make money. Um, one thing that's really interesting is how many of you guys have heard of Upwork before? Upwork, okay, nice. Upwork is a freelancer business matchmaker. So basically businesses will like post a an issue, a project they have, and you can apply as a freelancer to try to solve that problem. Kind of gig economy type stuff, right? Um, and I thought like the only way to make money is you have to go work in corporate. And it's just not necessarily true. You could do things like uh, Upwork. Um, there's like small um, businesses that just need like content. Like you could be a technical writer to help. I'm trying to think of like a chemical engineering instance. This is, this is bigger in tech to be honest. But like, I don't know. Like for all the, all, the, all the chemi companies I know off the top of my head are kind of big. But like smaller ones that are just getting started that really want to do marketing, you could be a technical writer for them. Okay, here's some things I thought about industry. Um, this is something I want you guys to think about because when I was getting my degree and trying to find a job, I was like, I just want to go wherever I can get the most money. That's all I care about. All right, don't show me my hands, but how many of you guys are kind of thinking the same thing? It's like, I'll just go wherever I can get a job, right? All right, nice. Um, and just something you have to think about is money isn't everything in your life. And I know I'm saying that to undergrad students who are probably like, you don't understand. Like, I'm taking on student loans. You know, I have to work 40 hours a week, you know, doing this jump, dumb waitress job or waiter job or something like that. And, and it is really important. And I totally remember being in your guys' shoes where I, I, how many of you guys, do any of you guys live on campus? Okay, couple. Where do you guys live? Cal Oh man. Wait, what is it? It's the new one. Oh, okay. I was going to say, I don't know that one. Um, but I lived, I lived, well, first I lived at the MHC. Anyone lived there? 
Okay, nice. I love the MHC, and the MHC is not, it's a great place to live. Uh, and then I got married, and I moved to like a really dinky apartment down the street, and it was really small, and kind of smelled weird. And then I lived at uh, student married housing. I don't know if anyone's ever been there, but those are like super old and kind of, kind of gross. So I remember what it feels like to be with, like where you may be, where you're like, oh man, I just need to make some money. And that's totally fine. But just some other things you have to consider is you have to love your coworkers, you have to love what you do, you have to like actually enjoy your job. Because the main reason I left at Exxon, I'll tell you it was not the money, because there was lots of it, but I felt like I was a cog in the machine. Like I didn't actually really enjoy what I did when it came down to it on a day to day basis because I learned I like to work for smaller companies. Like I said earlier, I started my career at VaporSense and it was teeny tiny. It was small. I was like the eighth person there. And I loved that versus being the literally 70,000th person at ExxonMobil. So that's just something to consider. Like, for instance, if you got two jobs, let's say, let's say everything's working out good for you guys and you got two job offers and they're like 90,000 each coming out of undergrad, right? It's like, yeah, it's, it's a good life right there, right? You have to really consider like those, the, the, the different dynamics of those jobs. Like, do I, do I like what industry I'm in, you know? Is there lots of bureaucracy? What's like the culture of the company? Do I actually feel like I'm doing anything good with, with, with my, you know, my work? Just some things to consider that I didn't necessarily consider. And this isn't to say I really enjoyed my time at Exxon. I'm really glad I went there. I'm really grateful. Um, but these are just some things I didn't know before. And all of you guys might go work for Exxon and it might be amazing, you know? You know, might work for, what's the one that recruits here now? Is it Total? No. Marathon. 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 See, you guys might go work for Marathon and they're a big corporation and it might be freaking sweet. You might love it. It's just knowing what you like personally. Okay. So any questions on all that junk that I just said? Yeah, what's up? How much did you get paid at Ooh, can I disclose these things? That's entirely up to Okay, I got paid over six figures at Exxon. Over six figures? Over six figures? Over a hundred thousand dollars. Okay, so not seven or more figures. Not seven figures, no. <laughs> I was close, just kidding. <laughs> no, I wasn't close. I wasn't close. I wasn't close. Maybe my boss's boss. I don't know. I, yeah. <laughs> any, any other questions? Which, by the way, was awesome because beforehand in college I was getting paid like 12 and 17. So that was awesome to move up. Also, Texas is awesome because your spending power, like, I don't want to say doubles, but like houses in Texas are cheap and gas in Texas is cheap and food in Texas is cheap compared to here. So that was good. Cool. Any other questions about career stuff? All right, then I'll move to like the actual more technical part. And that is data science in general. So how many of you heard this phrase before, data science? Show a hand. All right, decent amount. When I was, when I was like first getting into it, when I was working at uh, VaporSense, I don't know why, but I had never really heard of this term necessarily. I just knew I was using machine learning and doing data analysis, but the term data science, I didn't really know. So how many of you have felt like you've done data science before? Anyone? All right, nice, okay. I think all of your guys' hands should be in the air because I'd count half of uh, Professor Edding's uh, you know, 
homework assignments almost as data science because this is my definition. It's using any form of data or information to extract insights or value. So anytime you're in a spreadsheet, I'd almost count that data science. So in heat transfer, I think you guys do some form of data science. In thermo, I think you do some form of data science. Guy, I remember using Solver, so many homework assignments in thermo. And I, I count, especially the algorithm to solve that, that's definitely a data science. So it's kind of where computer science and statistics and domain knowledge meet, and in the middle there's data science. So you do a lot of programming, and you do a lot of math, and you apply it to a business problem, and that's data science. So um, in terms of why data science, specifically for you guys in industrial systems, by the way, industrial systems is a really nice word that like, you can use to make chemical engineering a little bit broader, right? Because you could say data science in, in chemical engineering, but like, why not just throw a lot of industry into it? Like any sort of engineering, any sort of big thing at scale, industrial systems, good word. I think I learned that from Dr. Powell. Um, so industrial systems, all right? Um, but like data-driven decisions, like we talked about earlier, making decisions is really hard um, at a big organ. Like, how many of you guys have done a lab so far? Like, sorry, what's what project lab? All right, a couple of you. You guys know like those little pressure gauges that you have on some of those equipment, you know, temperature gauges and stuff. Imagine like 400,000 of those sensors, and that's like basically what a refinery is. It's just basically that times 400,000. And it's so hard to like actually make good decisions based if you have 400,000 different things you're reading. It's kind of like information overload. So being able to, to digest that information in an effective way and like make good decisions without a human actually making the decision necessarily is a really big pull to have data science be in you know, industrial systems. It's just like too much to manage for humans and slash humans are more expensive than computers at the end of the day. So um, hence a need for data science, data-driven decisions. So like I, like I did at Exxon, right? What crude should we buy? Um, and it's not even necessarily that the, the computer was making the decision. It was that the computer would present the options to what we called an economist and the economist would make the decision. But basically the computer was doing all the grunt work that like interns like you guys might be, you know, doing a computer did instead. So that's why we need data science. That's one of the reasons. Also, we need a lot of efficiency. Um, this is something that you guys maybe don't think about as much, or maybe it's you do. Um, how many of you guys have taken like an environmental class in your undergraduate degree? Something that's focused on like being environmentally friendly. Okay, a couple of you. Um, that's something that's really big in industry. Not only from like a be a good company, be a good person standpoint, but also like have good press, uh, don't get canceled, uh, and don't break the law. Like literally there are laws where it's like you can't just pour pollution into the environment, right? And so that's actually a really big thing for companies to, um, to comply with. So for instance, um, I'm going to screw this up, and I've, I haven't even been out of industry that much, but there's something called IMO. Have you heard of that? <laughs> yeah, not that one. More, more oily. So there, there's an organization. I forgot what the organization is. I'm, I'm a dummy. I obviously learned no chemi. But um, there's basically an organization that controls how much pollution can come out of big boats in the ocean, okay, that are transporting things. Because, I mean, you guys realize that most of the shipping in the world actually happens via freight, right? That's something that I didn't really think about until I was working for Exxon. But, like, all the stuff we order from Amazon that's coming from China – 
They're not flying it over here. It's coming on a boat a lot of the time. And all of the oil in the world, which like is really big, right? Lots of gas, lots of oil. A lot of that is coming over ship or being sent via ship, for instance, from the United States. Um, and there's lots of boats that are really big and carrying heavy things and they make a lot of pollution. And so um, that's bad. We don't like pollution, right? We don't want to have global warming, stuff like that. So this organization that like regulates all of this is getting stricter and stricter every two years with how much pollution you can have coming out of like your tailpipe basically of the boat. And so for instance, when I was at Exxon at the beginning of, or I guess the end of 2019 to the beginning of 2020, there was IMO 2020, which basically meant your sulfur coming from the boats had to drop from 3.5 weight percent to like one weight percent, which was huge. This was a really big deal that like would have affected your gas prices. They probably shot up for a little bit just because of uh, instability in the market and people not really knowing how to react and stuff like that. But basically one thing we can use data science for is trying to make stuff more efficient using computers to try to predict stuff, try to anticipate stuff and prevent you know, a lot of uh, pollution from happening. The other decision that I kind of worked on while I was at Exxon was how many of you, what's like, I mean, feel free to either respond or not respond. I don't want to be too personal. But like, what's the most expensive thing that you guys have bought before? Most expensive thing? Yeah. Ever. Sure. I'll, I'll go, or unless anyone else wants to go. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, a motorcycle. All right, there you go. That's a big, that's a big price, right? I'll, I'll add on to that. I bought a house, okay? That's like half a million dollars, at least in Utah now, it seems like. And uh, that's a pretty big expense for me, right? That's like pennies for a refinery, pennies. Like half a million, that's like something like, you, like your last decimal you round down on or something like that. Like they do not care. And so it's really expensive to build refineries. And so one thing I actually worked on was how do we predict what, what we might need in the future based off of regulations? What might be the best thing that we should buy? So instead of making, they're going to make, you know, a $6 billion investment in one thing, they make, a, you know, a $4 billion in another or like a $10 billion in another. But helping them decide what to add on to the refinery was actually a big data question. And the last thing I'll just say is Industry 4.0. Have any of you guys heard of that phrase before? I said it kind of weird. Industry 4.0. Um, I don't know a ton about this, but the idea is basically smart manufacturing. That's like the other term for it. And it's putting sensors on everything in your stupid refinery and your manufacturing. So just throwing tons of sensors on there and trying to like use those sensors for good. And that's, that's becoming more and more of a thing. And that's why we need data science because with more data comes more noise and a bigger ability to, or a bigger need to actually figure out the, uh, the uh, data. Okay, I did see, let's see here. Um, I had this right here because there's a bunch of terms that like you guys maybe heard of before, um, but don't necessarily know what they mean. So uh, I'm, I'm gonna just start off by telling you guys that data science and data analytics, pretty much the same thing, okay? That's pretty much the same thing. How about AI? Who's heard of AI? Every hand should be up. How about big data? Everyone heard of that? Those mean nothing, okay? Those are absolute, the dumbest marketing terms you've ever heard. Whenever someone says, like, our product does AI, no, it doesn't. It does math. AI has come to mean math most of the time. There are a few exceptions, but the majority of the time, AI and big data are marketing terms to basically mean you're using data somewhere in your process. So kind of ignore that. 
Then inside of data science and analytics, you have like data viz. Data visualization is really big. Do we do much data viz in our program? I remember with, with, in your course, we had an Excel sheet turn blue and red. Yep. Was it a fan? It was a two-dimensional heat transfer okay. map. All right, there you go. There's some data viz right there. So that's a big part. You like what I, I remember blue and red, and I was in that room over there. That's about, in the fan. That's what I remember. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, then we have machine learning, which is a subset inside of data science and analytics. And that's when you're trying to predict or group things together. Um, basically, that's all you need to know. There's deep learning, which is a subset of machine learning, which is specifically using neural nets, which we use in smart systems, right? We use some neural nets in smart systems. So that's, that's a form of deep learning, a form of machine learning. And then there's this other thing called data engineering. Has anyone ever heard of that term? Ooh. Who wants to be a data engineer here? You guys are engineers, right? Just add data on the front of it. None of you guys want to be a data engineer. I'm just telling you now. I'm just telling. Actually, some of you guys might. But basically, this term's really confusing, but it basically means you're a programmer who moves data from A to B. You like do databases, set up databases, move stuff around. A lot of people hear data engineer and they're like, oh, I'm an engineer, so I want to be a data engineer. And it's not that fun, to be honest. It's like, uh, you don't get to do any of like the insight stuff. It's just like moving stuff around. So I mean, it still could be fun, but I think the fun part about data is like applying it to industry, you know? Like, for instance, if we go back to one of the problems I solved at Exxon, like predicting how much gas we should send to every single gas station in America, my job is to like do the prediction. The data engineer's job is just to make sure that I have the data that I should need, like the, the gas prices and you know, like our current levels at different tanks and stuff like that. So they don't actually like get to solve any of the fun parts, I feel like. Any questions? I saw some hands maybe. All right. All right, I'm gonna skip that. I do wanna get to, all right, we'll keep going. There's, there's four types of analytics that I want you guys to know about today. And that is descriptive, diagnostic, predictive, and prescriptive. So basically, descriptive is saying what happened in the past. So for instance, that would be like the average, the average temperature of our column was, I don't know, 115 degrees, right? That's what happened in the past. Diagnostic is one that like, I don't even really fully understand how you really do well. Um, but it's like, why did this happen? Like, why is that the temperature? Predictive would be taking past data and predicting what the temperature would be uh, like in a different part of the column or in a different time frame, And then prescriptive is how could you actually make that happen? Like what's, if you, if you have an ultimate, an ultimate outcome, like can you influence non-datally, but like in the real world, could you like try to like force the like universe to align to hit, hit your outcome based on the data? So those are the four types of analytics. Um, we'll skip that one. I just wanna go through uh, a couple examples um, that I think are, are pretty fun. So, um, yeah, so we have supply chain, anomaly detection, modeling chemical process, and predictive maintenance. So I've talked a lot about supply chain. That was my job at Exxon pretty much, was to you know, help with the, the supply chain issues at Exxon in a data way. Anomaly detection, we'll dive in here uh, right now, but that's basically like, if there's a problem inside of your plant, first, can you realize there's a problem? Because like, for instance, I told you earlier, 400,000 different sensors. What if there's a problem on one of them? How are you gonna find that? That's the first thing. 
Um, and then once you find it, uh, where, or once you realize it's happened, where is it is the next question, and then how to fix it. That's the third question. Uh, we have chemical, um, this should say, oh wait, modeling chemical process. So I talked about that a little bit. There's also like another part of data science and chemistry. It's more chemistry, but still a lot of chemical engineers do it. Um, it's called chemometrics. Anyone heard of that? Chemometrics, chemo, right? I don't know, chemistry, and then metrics, like you measure stuff. Um, that's like an actual job title that you guys could look for, for instance, and get jobs potentially. Um, but that's like measuring more like with spectrum and with like uh, quantum and stuff like that. But I really did not enjoy quantum as much, so I stayed away from that. But if you like quantum, it might be your cup of tea. The last thing is kind of similar to anomaly detection, but it's called predictive maintenance. And the idea is, can we like maintenance is a big deal. For instance, at uh, Texas Instruments Fab, that's a big deal. At Exxon, at any refinery, it's a big deal because it basically means you're going from full capacity 24-7 to all of a sudden you can't make as much stuff as you could previously, which basically means you're losing money by the, by the second. So if you can actually predictively see stuff before it fails and be able to predict, oh, this is going to fail, let's go in early and prepare for that and get ready for it and prevent it, that can actually save you a lot of money. So I know I'm running out of time here, but uh, we'll go through one, one quick example. Does anyone know what this is a picture of? Oh, is that, uh, is that the night, the U.S. at night? That is the U.S. at night. Uh, uh, that's a refinery, isn't it? Pretty much. It's, it's basically light pollution taken from space. And so you see like Denver, you see Minneapolis. Those cities are, are pretty big cities, right? I mean, they're not, they're not small. But up here... Uh, I'll use my little mouse right here. Can you guys see that? Oh, I don't know. Right here. What's going on there? Is there any big cities there? Not Salt Lake City. What was that? It's just gas fields. Whoa. <laughs> it talks. Yes. You're right. That's scary. The computer just talked to me. But yeah, yeah, exactly. That, that's just uh, the Bach and Shell activity. Uh, which is basically they're, they're fracking there. And so uh, there's lots of gas they're pulling out of the earth. And when they do that, uh, they have to flare. And this is what a flare is, if you've never heard of it. But basically, there's so much gas that's coming out and they're using so much energy that they just burn off some of the, some of the gas they get out of the ground because that's, uh, yeah, and it's bad for the environment. And you, you, no one likes to do it because you lose money, but you kind of have to. Um, and it's what happens when stuff goes wrong. Also, you get, in Salt Lake, you get in the Salt Lake refineries, you guys see those flames all the time. You're like, the your friends are like, the refinery's on fire. And you're like, no, it's just a flare stack, right? What that is, is they're constantly running a fire just in case anything goes wrong at the refinery where they can basically just take their product and just burn it if it's going, if, if that's a better economic decision for them than shutting down the whole refinery when there's a problem. It's just to burn the, the stuff. They're just basically burning money because something's gone wrong. That's a cheaper alternative to shutting down the system. So basically this can happen when something's gone wrong and figuring out when something's gone wrong is a really big deal. And this is the research I actually did with, with Dr. Powell is you have a bunch of sensors going wrong uh, or sorry, just operating at once. And it's really hard to see what's going on. Like I think in this, we had, it was like 300 sensors, I think, graphed on one graph, normalized. And like, you can't really pick out anything that's going on. And so you can look at one at a time, right? With a Schuert chart. Did you guys learn about those from, from Professor Silfox? If not, then I think you will. Um, 
I think, I can't remember now. <laughs> now I'm giving Professor Silcox homework. But the idea is you can keep track of when something's going wrong uh, by basically taking plus and minus two standard deviations uh, away. And if it goes outside of that window, something's wrong. So in this case, I made a little graph that shows that. And you see some stuff's going wrong. And so that's really easy when there's only one sensor. But what if you have, I think this is 35 sensors? S someone tell me if they can see when something goes wrong. And which one it was. Okay, it went wrong. Anyone see it? You, yep, you'll see some red. Anyone see red? All right, you guys are failing. This is why a computer is going to replace you. It's in the top right, second from the left. It's really hard. It's not a very big, uh, big graph, so I realize it's difficult. But the point is that's a hard thing to do. And so you can actually use machine learning to solve this problem a little bit easier. I'm running out of time, but this is a really good book that is totally free. It is online. It is called Process Improvement Using Data by Kevin Dunn. I learned a lot about data and stats by reading this book. It's really short, um, and it has like intuitive exercises with like, coding and stuff. Uh, Kevin Dunn was a professor in some Canadian university. I don't know the names of those, but somewhere up there, he was a professor and has this book online. It's really good. Um, yeah, recommend checking it out. Um, I'm not going to go into how we solve this problem, but basically in some research with Dr. Powell, we use some machine learning to go from chaos to a little bit more organized over there. And we had a simulation of, of 280 sensors. And basically, we we're trying to figure out when faults. It was really fun. It was kind of like hide and seek. Dr. Powell uh, built this like, uh, simulation that's very similar to the one you build in smart systems. And he would like, simulate stuff and hide little errors in there. And I'd ha he'd like, give it to me, and then I'd be the detective and tell him when and where the error occurred and how fast I did it using a computer. Um, so that was, that was actually really fun. But uh, that's, that's kind of some of the research we did. And basically, I don't have time to go into all the stats. I talk too much. I'm sorry. But the idea is, instead of seeing like this, basically, where you can't see where the error occurs really at all, it's too noisy, using machine learning, we were able to cluster the different sensors together and then do something called PCA. Well, yeah, using PCA, we were able to determine when the fault occurred. And see, this is where the fault occurred over here. And it's like much easier to see than previously. Um, so basically, we use data science to, to solve that. So I'm going to go ahead and end uh, because I did want to just like leave a couple minutes for questions. Um, but just I'll just stay on the screen right here because this is like if you guys were interested in learning more about data and wanted to learn more, these are the three things that I'd recommend to you guys as chemical engineers. Uh, first is speed. Is that how you guys say it? I don't know. Uh, it has like a whole page dedicated data science in oil, basically. Great resource to have. Kaggle, this is like the, the hub for learning data science. And then towards data science is a medium publication. Uh, there's, I found this article with a lot of uh, oil and gas projects. Sorry, this is really oil and gas heavy. But if you guys want to work in semiconductors, I know uh, Text Instruments is hiring a lot of people to do data there. It's huge fault detection, which I just talked about. Huge in semiconductors, huge in pharmaceuticals. Um, yeah, those are probably the three biggest industries would be pharmaceuticals, semiconductors, and then energy would be the third. So uh, thanks for listening to me like blabbering on. And I'll, I'll just go ahead and take any questions about career stuff or uh, data in general. Yeah, Dr. Powell. Can you tell us how the new venture is going, your, your new business? Okay, yeah, so uh, I survived. I haven't died. I still 
Yeah, thank you. <laughs> I'm still eating way too much than I should. Um, it's been good. So I've probably helped about 15 companies last year uh, do data science projects, do machine learning stuff, um, et cetera. Um, like I said, only one was in energy, which is kind of interesting, just like a lot of retail. Um, and then, then teaching has been going good. I really like to teach. Um, so I've been doing online courses where I teach people data science, and, and that's been going good as well. Um, but I, I was, I mean, it's, it's been, obviously entrepreneurship is always really risky, but just going back to what I said earlier, like working for corporate isn't the only way. It's a fantastic way to make a living, but it's not the only way. Um, I, I did really well last year, and I'm, I'm happy that I made the choice to be an entrepreneur. Thanks for the question. <laughs> Dr. Powell. Do you find that your background in industry has helped with that adventure? Is that I think working for a big company has helped my reputation. You, you, you throw like a brand name on anything and people trust it more, um, whether it's good or not. Like that's another thing I'll tell you guys is like, I'm seeing it really a lot now. Like I have friends that are going to work for like Amazon or Facebook or Google. And just because someone, let me just tell you this, just because someone works for a big company like Facebook or Exxon, first off, doesn't mean that they're smarter than you at all. doesn't mean that at all. Second off, doesn't mean they have a better life than you. That's another thing I'll tell you is like, it's really easy to look at these people and be like, oh, I wish I had their job. But like, I was happier at little teeny tiny, tiny vapor scents than I was at Exxon. I mean, okay, that's not 100% true because I liked Exxon's money. But like, with my job satisfaction, I was happier at a no-name company. So I forgot your question, but that's, yeah. That, that's my spiel. It's like, it, 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 it does help, but it doesn't necessarily help your life, I guess. Okay. <laughs> it still worked out, and so, all right. And, and, yeah. So you brought up a few of the courses that you would have taken to learn more about data science. Yeah. Um, along with that, like, if you're going for internships or experiencing that, what, what would you recommend? Oh man, if if you guys can get an internship with Texas Instruments, I would do it. Um, I almost think the Texas Instruments. I know they just bought. I am Flash or what I am Flash used to be. But like, I almost interned at I am Flash and whenever I told people I was, this goes back to the brand name thing, is like no one knew what I am Flash was. Like even though Intel and Micron, like you'd have to like say, I, oh yeah, I, I'm gonna do an internship at Intel Micron. Like you had to say that. Um, Texas Instrument is a really big name, really big company. They use a ton of data. I think if you're looking for a date, like a programming uh, chemical engineering mix, that's a really good place to be. Um, they have a, like two fault detection teams there. That would, that would be really good matches for anyone. Uh, other internships, yeah, it's hard. I, I would like go into LinkedIn and go into jobs and type in chemical engineering data as your like search and, and look what's there. But like, for instance, small, small like biotech companies like VaporSense would be like another, probably the other alternative for like finding internships, I would say. And, and it's harder because like at Exxon, my title technically was optimization engineer, which like, I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that before. That was your title too, right? An RTO? Similar, yeah. Oh, okay. You're an application engineer before, huh? Yeah. Anyways, basically, there's a bunch of engineers that don't, the titles don't make any sense, so you have to look at the job description. Did you get all of your um, programming experience from the chemical engineering department, or did you like, take other classes, like 
Yeah, so I started off with like MATLAB, honestly from, I didn't even take 1703. Isn't that where they teach programming? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't take that, uh, long story. But like, I learned, I learned kind of baptism by fire and numerical methods. That was like my first time actually programming and it was hard. Uh, but then these two classes is where I learned a ton. But here's another thing I'll just say really quickly. All the stuff I learned in my career, I learned on the job. I'm a big proponent of figuring out how to get paid to learn. Like that is like, if I could like sum up my success, quote unquote, in my career, it's just figuring out to put yourself in really weird situations where you can get paid to learn, right? So at first when I worked for VaporSense, I had no job experience, so I worked for free for three months in another lab, and then I got hired at at VaporSense, and then I was able to work and get paid to learn to become a programmer, basically. So these two classes are awesome, though. You also did a master's at Georgia Tech. Yeah, and then I did a master's at Georgia Tech while I was at Exxon. At Exxon paid for a portion of that too. So get paid to learn, it's a good, it's a good skill. Uh, I think we're out of time, huh? Yeah, any last questions? Okay, well let's thank our speaker. Thank you guys. <laughs>